Okay. We're good. We're good? Good morning. If anyone would uh, be so inclined and so brave, I welcome you to come up here to the front so I don't have to talk so loud. (laughs) Anyone want to move up front? Come on, you can do it. (laughs) I'll just have to speak up. I'm going to start this morning with a question. Why are we here? Hot dogs. Hot dogs, okay. That's Hot dogs. <laughs> Man after my own heart. Why are we here? Glorify the joy God forever. Thank you, Bill, for that worship to prepare our hearts. Um, We're here because Christ instructed us to gather and to love each other. Because we need each other. We're members of one another. We love each other because of Him. We're the body. We're His body. He's our head. We're here to to do our our functioning as a body and encouraging and equipping one another for the works that God has in store for us. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we were here. It hadn't been long. Uh, There were no hot dogs, but we've remedied that situation. Um, Camille brought a wonderful message about we are made to hear His voice. I was so encouraged by it in the fellowship that we had together afterwards that I sent out a a note on the uh, prayer list, the prayer chain for... um, from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. I'd like to start off this morning by reading that verse of Scripture again. It's my prayer again for all of us this morning. I bow my knees before the Father from whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that we would grant you according to, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, that prayer is really a prayer that we might grow in faith into the fullness of Christ, into mature men and women of God. This morning, I want to pick up uh, the Scripture on Paul's letter uh, and begin with uh, and read some from chapter 4, verses 1 through 24. And in the process, I want to share some thoughts and scriptures with you about spiritual maturity. Now, you might be inclined to ask at this point, Randy, are you qualified to speak on such a topic? (laughs) Perfectly reasonable question, and one that I'm certainly sensitive to, and I undertake it in humility with fear and trembling. 
I believe it's an encouraging sign of some spiritual development when one recognizes how much growing they have yet to do, and I'm painfully aware of my lacking. It's this awareness of lacking and the hope of laying hold of it that fuels our discipline to press on and to press in to know Christ and to be changed by Him. Charles Spurgeon once said, You are not mature if you have a high esteem of yourself. He who boasts in himself is but a babe in Christ, if indeed he be in Christ at all. Young Christians may think much of themselves. Growing Christians think themselves nothing. Mature Christians know that they are less than nothing. The more holy we are, the more we mourn our infirmities, and the humbler is our estimate of ourselves. Let's pray. In humility and with grateful hearts, Lord, we open your word this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would gently and yet powerfully speak to each of us as a loving father. Speak to us of a loving father, a victorious son and loving brother. And fill us up with a longing to be full and complete in him. Amen. Well, what does spiritual maturity look like? Let's see. Ephesians 4, 1 through 24. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave, gift, he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God 
because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is the likeness of God, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Unbelievable, the, the scripture, the things that Paul espoused by the Spirit of God. You can meditate on that passage for so long and, and pull things out of it. But the essence of that passage, it seems to me, is that Paul is calling the church to maturity in Christ. He's calling us to be an accurate representation of who Jesus is, to be that representation to the world by functioning with the gifts that he has given us as his body, with each part working properly to cause growth of the whole body in love. Paul indicates that mature believers walk in a different way than unbelievers, or at least they should. He says we're no longer to be children. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him. We are to discern our gift and operate in it to, in love to build up the whole body. Paul calls us to, he calls us to think differently and to live differently. To live in a manner that is worthy of Christ. He implores us to do that. That requires laying aside our old self, renewing the spirit of our minds, putting on our new self, which is like Jesus, created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Paul begins in verse 1 imploring us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, to do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, and being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I think that's a pretty good description of what maturity in Christ looks like. Those attributes parallel to some degree the list of the fruits of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul asks us to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because that's worthy of Jesus. It honors Him. It glorifies Him. He is our peace. And then in verses 4-6, through six, Paul lists the seven elements necessary to have fellowship. One, one body, one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If you and I agree on these seven things, then we can fellowship together. We may have different ideas about other aspects of our Christian faith and walk, but if we share these seven things in common, we have like-mindedness in this area, then we can have fellowship. 
I believe that things outside of these seven things in this list fall into legalism and can be divisive. Whereas these seven elements of faith preserve the unity of the Spirit. For instance, another church might believe that you need to sing traditional hymns and have a choir. They might frown on having drums and guitars in the church. Okay, well that's a matter of style preference, but it's not a condition for having fellowship. I remember as a young man, a young believer, working in an auto parts store uh, during the summer, first year of college, and I was a young believer and just really excited about knowing Jesus. And a guy came in one day um, from a garage to get some parts, and I said, God bless you, as he was getting ready to leave. And, and he said something that made me think, and I said, are you a Christian? And he said, yes. Are you? And I said, Yes, sir, I am. And he said, well, Your hair's kind of long. I'm like, and it was back then. And I thought, Huh? I'm a young believer. I didn't know. And so I thought, Okay, well, if, if having long hair is going to enable me not to have, it's going to keep me from having fellowship with this guy, I'll cut my hair. So I got a haircut. Next time, the guy came in. I was excited that he came in. And I said, I got a haircut. And he said, yeah, you still use a little more back here. And it wasn't short enough. Um, and that's one of those things. I mean, that there are all kinds of things that some people use as excuses not to have fellowship or where we don't meet up to some expectation that's unrealistic. But it's these seven things. If we agree on these things, we can have fellowship with one another. If you and I agree on these things. Paul then goes on in verse 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8, to describe Christ's gift of grace to believers. But to each one of us, grace was giving, given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. You ever thought about what that passage is referring to? In Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown's commentary, they indicated uh, regarding verse 8 that we see Christ leading a band of captives, the devil, death, the curse, and sin in a triumphant procession as a sign of the destruction of the foe. Christ is the victorious king. He's vanquished his foes and led them captive in a procession of victory. Can you visualize that? Hail, 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 King Jesus. He is our victor. The commentary continues, and he gave, he gave gifts to men. As a conqueror distributes in token of his triumph the spoils of foes as gifts among his people. The commentary goes on to point out that the impartation of the gifts and graces of the Spirit depended on Christ's ascension. Why does the victorious Christ give gifts to men? Well, the Scripture tells us it's for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. For what purpose? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, I love this line, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. There's something about this passage in verse 13 that's captivated my thoughts for the past couple of years. 
to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Wow, this could be our prayer each day. Lord, work in my heart and mind today to give me understanding of your will for my life, to know the grace gift that you've given me, for me to walk in humility and grace, to attain to the unity of the faith, to attain to the knowledge of you, Lord Jesus, to grow into maturity so that when people see me, they know what you look like because there is a measure of your stature and your fullness in my life. That's my scripture focus this morning. It's the calling God has on each of our lives. Now let me personalize it a bit. Do you remember when you first became a Christian? I remember it vividly. The literal weight of sin and and anguish that was lifted in an instant and replaced by the forgiveness of God. It was amazing. I felt that I had arrived. I was born again. But I had not arrived. (laughs) I just checked in. The train was just leaving the station and the adventure was just beginning. This was just the first step, not the last. John Piper has said, God is not done with His work when we first believe and are saved. He intends day by day to make us into what we already are in Christ. I love that. He intends day by day to make us into what we already are in Christ. As a babe in Christ, I knew nothing. Literally nothing. I'd tried to read the Bible before, but it was all very confusing, especially in the King James. But when Christ came into my heart and took up residence in my life, suddenly the Bible was not just words. It was the Word of God. It was alive. And I started soaking it up. I began to understand that I had not just purchased fire insurance, but that Christ had come into my life abundantly, as it says in John 10.10. And not just for heaven and the sweet by and by, but for the here and now. It was the beginning of a journey that's lasted now for almost 45 years. But as Oswald Chambers said, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. And Erwin Lutzer said, there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. It takes time to be holy. Well, in honor of Greg this morning, I want to share a cartoon from Calvin and Hobbes. (laughs) I'll pass this around. Uh, In the first frame, Calvin has a lot of homework to do, and he turns to Hobbes and complains, look at all this homework I'm supposed to do. I don't want to do this garbage. I want to go up play outside. In the third frame, they're outside going down a hill on a sled. Calvin turns to Hobbes and says, childhood is short. And maturity is forever. (laughs) Maturity feels like it takes forever, doesn't it? Sometimes. Most of the time, we want to go outside and play. Instead of doing the hard work required to become mature. There are varying degrees of maturity, and none of us will be completely mature until we're perfect. And that will only happen when we stand in the presence of Christ. Because He is our perfection. He is the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christian maturity. 
Another quote by Charles Spurgeon that I love. The Christian life is very much like climbing a hill of ice. You cannot slide up. You have to cut every step with an ice axe. Only with incessant labor in cutting and chipping can you make any progress. If you want to know how to backslide, leave off going forward. Cease going upward and you will go downward of necessity. You can never stand still. I've shared with you all some over the years about my testimony uh, of coming to Christ as a 17-year-old senior in high school and of growing up in a dysfunctional family with a father who was an alcoholic, a good guy when he was sober, not so much when he wasn't. I loved him and wished to this day that I knew what caused him to live in so much pain all of his life and to reject God until his deathbed. He was a truck driver and he was gone a lot leaving my mom, who worked as a beautician, I don't think they use that word anymore, as a hairstylist, to raise my two older brothers, myself and my two younger sisters. We were pretty good kids for the most part, but there was enough time without parental observation for us to get into some mischief here and there. I didn't realize it, though, until several years later that I had a deficiency in my life. Greg could have pointed it out, but... Yeah, I did not have an accurate image of a heavenly father because I did not have a physical father that could tell me about God, show me his love, and provide an example of how to live a life that was pleasing to him. Now, I share all that to make a point that without a good father image, it took me a long time to grow up. Now, Lisa might say that I'm still growing up, and she would be right. And the truth is that at 62 years of age, I still feel like that stupid 17-year-old sometimes. I did not have a Christian father as an example, but I was blessed to have been taken in, if you will, by my good friend and mentor, Dr. J.L. Williams. J.L. put flesh and bones onto the idea of what a godly man might look like. The focus of his life was service to God through service to others. He preached Christ crucified, and he lived a resurrected life. Now, J.L. wasn't perfect for sure. He made plenty of mistakes, but he was always moving forward, pressing on, and he was fixed on the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He was obviously an inspiration to me. Question, who was or is the J.L. in your life? the Greg in your life, the Bill or Preston in your life. What father figure has made the most eternal impact on your heart and mind, pushing and prodding you by their words and deeds to follow hard after God and to grow into spiritual maturity? Do you know that? Can you picture that person in your mind right now? There may be more than one, obviously. But we all need examples of maturity. The Apostle Paul admonished us in 1 Corinthians 11.1 to be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Obviously, we have to be careful who we imitate. We want to imitate people that imitate Jesus. In the 45 years that I knew J.L., he never eased up or let up on his passionate pursuit of God. 
and in making him known to others. I think I've said this before, but I often heard JL say, I'd rather burn out than rust out. Now, me on the other hand, my natural inclination is to ease up, let up, shut up, and put my feet up. But God's call on my life is to get up, stand up, pray up, speak up, and look up. Now, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I have this overwhelming sense that I should be farther along than this. I should be farther down the trail to the celestial city by now. It's time to speed up the pace a bit. It's time to be our JLs in the lives of others. On a side note, many of you know that I'm a bit of a movie buff. There's a scene in the movie Rocky Balboa where Sylvester Stallone's character Rocky, the former heavyweight champion of the world, is speaking to his son. Now, Rocky is now in his early 60s, I think. He's disappointed in his son's attitude because his son's making all kinds of excuses about why he hates his life, he hates his job, and he blames it all on his father's fame. And Rocky looks at him and he says, Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it'll beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody's going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. How much you take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. There's a spiritual lesson, obviously, in that that I think is inescapable. Get up. Keep moving forward. Take the hits that make you stronger. Press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's how winning is done. We cannot mature as believers without exercising and growing in our faith. And life tests our faith. Hard times test what we really believe about God. I woke up early one morning last week with an acronym for faith in my mind. F-A-I-T-H. Full Assurance in trusting Him. Full assurance in trusting Him. Another one that you may have heard is forsaking all, I trust Him. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you. That's hopefully what this message is about, is just imparting the Word to encourage us all to keep pressing on. I want to encourage us in our faith journey with some verses about faith. You all know them, but I hope your hearts will be encouraged as you hear them again. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just listen carefully to these words and let God renew within you His faith. Now faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for. The conviction or evidence of things not seen. And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame 
and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines, and He scourges every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, so that we may share His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. As Jael used to say, all that God is, is available to the man that is available to all that God is. If we want to be who God wants us to be, we have to be available to hear His voice, obey His instruction, and be changed by His loving discipline. A final thought. If Jesus were to suddenly walk into this room and agree to answer a few questions, what's the first question you'd want to ask Him? Now, our first inclination might be some of the obvious. Lord, what must we do to be saved? Lord, when are you coming back to the church? Lord, what do you think about Donald Trump? (laughs) Or, Lord, I've been having this issue with my back. Uh, Would you mind touching that? You probably have a more serious question. The one I actually, after thinking about this a long time, focused on was this. Lord, can I wash your feet? Lord, can I wash your feet? I think when our questions for God are more like that one, it might be a sign that we're on the right path for spiritual maturity. Let's pray. I'm going to ask Preston to close in prayer for us.